Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of Teaching Tales, the podcast totally devoted to sharing stories, hopefully that are inspirational and encouraging from the world of education. I am Brent Coley, your host and elementary principal in beautiful Southern California. And joining me today, I am super stoked, to use one of my California words, super stoked to have Eric Scheninger. I I said that right, right, Eric? Yes. (laughs) Eric Scheninger, who is uh, an amazing, I'm going to give him an opportunity to uh, tell you who he is, but I had the opportunity to hear him speak about a year and a half ago at a conference, and it completely uh, re-energized me as, as a leader in education, so I am stoked to have him on. So, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time out of what I know is an incredibly busy schedule. Oh, Brent, it's my, my pleasure to be here. Sweet. And so, again, I'm, I'm familiar with who you are, have heard you speak, and have checked out your work. But for anyone who is not yet growth mindset, familiar with you and who you are, who is Eric Scheninger? Well, Eric Scheninger is very tired right now after the amazing Houston Astros win where I live mm. right now. So, sorry, I, you had to talk about Southern California, so I just had to bring it up, you know. Oh. I'm a... I'm a Padres fan, Eric, so I am rooting for okay. the Astros. I'll tell you that because the Dodgers are anyone. My favorite team is the Padres, and whoever beats the Dodgers. So sorry, yeah, Dodgers fans. All right, we're good. So you know, before <laughs> my move to Houston, uh, I was born and raised in the Northeast. I was a science teacher, uh, taught biology, marine biology, chemistry, uh, coached a few sports, and then I became an administrator at New Milford High School, uh, which is also in New Jersey, and. While I was there, whether it would be as a teacher or as a an administrator, you know, I had a pretty siloed view as to the role of technology in uh, teaching, learning, and leadership. And uh, you know, for me, it really was hey, effective integration or infusion is hey, let's do the PowerPoint presentation up on the screen, you know, and that was that, you know. But you know we were able to do some pretty amazing things at New Milford High School that really focused on unleashing the, uh, the potential of our kids through a focus on student agency. And uh, we went through a successful digital transformation. Uh, and I say digital transformation because uh, technology played a huge role to support and enhance uh, what we actually accomplished. And uh, when it was all said and done, we not only improved achievement, but we became a model for innovative practices. People visited from all over the world. The news was at our school in New York City all the time. And uh, it was great. So, you know, going from uh, sort of a siloed view to a more open mind mm-hmm. was a big part of my learning journey uh, as an educator. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember when, when I heard you speak and, and, and watching your TED Talk and read some of your writing, giving up control was was one of the the phrases that you have used and as a teacher I, I was in the classroom for 15 years and i was one of those teachers who liked i think a lot of us are we <laughs> it's comfortable to have control and making sure that even though it's kind of a fallacy that do we really have absolute control no but we like to think we do can you share kind of specifically how you gave up control and what that led to? You know, I think this quote from Zig Ziglar really puts it into perspective about control. And it has to do with fear. So we can either forget everything and run, 
or face everything and rise. When it comes to technology, we just want to forget everything and run because we're so worried that, oh my goodness, kids are going to be off task. They're, they're going to cheat. Uh, they're going to be inappropriate. You know, all these things that you know we think kids are going to do. You know what, Brent? Adults are just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. Comes to off-task behavior with technology. But we fear what we don't understand. And by maintaining control, we kind of keep the fear uh, subdued. So for me, you know, it really was about creating an environment that was the optimal learning culture where kids came, the bell rang, they got on task, they took their notes, might have done do some interactive learning, closure, homework, rinse, repeat. So, you know, <laughs> by keeping technology out of the mix, you know, we thought we were doing a service to our kids, but ultimately we were doing a disservice to them because the bottom line is if kids don't understand why they're learning what they're learning, and if that isn't connected to some sort of relevance to outside of school, and if school is the exact opposite of the real world, we have a big problem. The problem yeah. that really is kids that do not want to come to school, do not want to learn. And if they're not learning, hey, we cannot expect gains in achievement, which, yeah, it's important to some, but hey, I want my kids to love learning. So it comes back to student agency, as I mentioned when I described my brief history. You know, a student told me that school stunk. You know, when I took his device, he said, you know what, this school's like a jail. I don't want to be here. And it rattled me like nothing before. And it was that moment in time, as well as getting on Twitter, because I said, hey, my fixed mindset, social media, don't have time, not going to help me learn. Those two points in time changed my whole perspective. And it then really was about, hey, how do we offer kids more voice as to the learning culture? How do we give them more choice where they could select the right, to uh, right tool uh, for the right task? How do we let them advocate for their school? So that's student agency in a nutshell. And that's really what changed for me was that interaction with the kid. But you know, as we went forward, putting kids at the center of every major decision that we did at my former school was pivotal to our success. Mm -hmm. And allowing them to give us good feedback. And not only give us feedback, but for them to see us see that we actually cared, you know. Hey, everything comes down to trust. Yeah. If there's no trust, there's no relationship. If there's no relationship, no real learning occurs. So when we think about the role of technology, it's about trusting our kids. And if you can't give up control, trust just is not part of the equation. Yeah, no, absolutely. What you said about the, the trusting and the Zig Ziglar quote reminded me, I saw George Kuros do a talk and gave an example very similar to what you'd said about how he was given a talk to kids and using Twitter and gave them a hashtag and a kiddo put up a negative tweet. And he said the first, your, his first uh, inclination was, oh no, take it down. But then what happened was his quote that make the positive so loud, the negatives are almost impossible to hear. All the other students started overriding the negative stuff and then you couldn't even see what that negative tweet was because it's like, yeah, you could take it down, but 
what about all the good stuff that could come out of that if you don't trust the kids? And our problem was, you know, we weren't actually honoring the voices and we weren't listening to our kids. We weren't giving them a forum where they could actually, without fear, share with us about the positives and negatives about their learning experience. And I think sometimes that, you know, as we're in schools, and this was the case for me, is we were so afraid of what the kids might do. And there really wasn't any evidence that said they were going to do this, but it doesn't matter. It was about how do we make it easier for us as adults? And, you know, looking at it, I want to just give a fantastic example of one thing that we did to not only create trust with our kids, but, but really empower them to own their learning and see that it wasn't just what was going on in the classrooms that mattered. It was the whole experience throughout the culture. So, you know, all schools have filters in place because of the Child Internet Protection Act. If you want E-rate, you got to have a filter in place for SIPA. So we had a filter in place. It wasn't, as we progressed through our transformation, it was, most of the stuff was not blocked, but some things were. You know, you got to block violence, pornography, yeah. gambling, all that stuff. So in collaboration with our IT department, you know, we set it up so that if you're a student and let's say you're doing a research project or, or you want to use a tool to showcase what you've learned and the site is blocked, okay? For most districts and schools, it stops there. But what we did is a dialogue screen came up where students could make a persuasive argument as to why they needed access to this tool and how it was going to be used to showcase learning. Think about empowering kids to own their learning, creating that trust. So more often than not, if the kids wrote a good persuasive argument and could validate how they're going to use the tool to support their learning, IT unblocked it without me even knowing. But if there was a case where they didn't understand the, the pedagogical significance or the pedagogical link, they came to me. And nine out of 10 times, I had it unblocked for the kids. But <laughs> think about that. Think about treating students like people. Think mm -hmm. about giving them, you know, we talk about owning learning all the time. Okay, well, there's an example of what it really looks like. Because if a student is empowered to make that decision, and again, if they can support with us, their claim their uh, argument with supporting evidence, that's great. But we really want to show the kids that, hey, we care about your learning. This is about you, not about us. But again, if we couldn't give up that control, you know, and trust our kids, guess what? Ownership agency is just something that we would talk about, not yeah. actually put into practice. Yeah. Yeah. The whole why, with student asks why, and how often do they hear because I said so, or because that's the way it's always been. And it's totally arbitrary. And I mean, gosh, what you said that, what a, what a great opportunity for students. Number one, first thing that popped into my head is, geez, the kids are practicing their writing skills, their persuasive writing skills. It reminds me of my daughter as she was getting ready to start high school and she had to choose her elective. Southern California, I took Spanish growing up. She wanted to take, excuse me, she wanted to take uh, ASL, American Sign Language. And I remember thinking, oh, baby, Spanish. I mean, because that's what I had done. I'm thinking, oh, this. But And without prompting, she wrote a persuasive essay <laughs> to, my, to my, my wife and I saying, dad, mom, this is why I think I should be able to take ASL. And it was awesome. And right now, Eric, she's in year three of ASL because we gave her ownership of that. And she has totally embraced it, 
totally run with it and probably has already like she's translating for some of the we've got a, a hearing impaired kiddo at our church she volunteers like she's doing more with ASL than I ever dreamed or thought she would have been able to do with Spanish all because we gave her some ownership of that. I love how you did that with your school. That is so cool. And when we think about ownership, you know, as I work with schools, districts, organizations across the world, you know, there are two driving questions that we can ask to find out how well we're really doing. And these are questions for kids. Do you know why you're learning what you're learning? Mm -hmm. Number two, how will you use this outside of school? If we truly want to figure out how effective we are, kids should understand why they're learning what they're learning and how they're going to use it and how it's going to impact their lives. And right then and there, you can tell if kids really have a sense of true ownership. As I, when I go into schools and do coaching visits, you know, I go up to the kids and I'm like, hey, can you tell me why this is important to you? And they give me these like deer in headlight looks. And I'm like, don't worry, I'm not going to say anything. And then I say, well, what about this? How are you going to use it? So, you know, if we can't, if we can't, if kids can't answer those questions. Yeah. It really, the curriculum, scope and sequence doesn't matter. The tests don't matter. Co college career ready doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. you know, we need, we don't prepare kids for something. Prepare kids for anything. Mm. And if we're going to prepare, their, prepare them for anything, we have to take a critical lens to our structures, to our culture. We have to ask those questions starting with the why, then the how, and then finally, what tools and supports do we need to bring the why and the how to fruition? But if we don't take that critical lens to our culture, if we don't have those conversations with our kids, that ultimately could hurt our feelings. You know, some of us aren't ready to be open-minded to what our students are saying. And I'm not saying go in and use technology all the time. No. Hey, we were pedagogy first, technology second, if appropriate. Yep. Technology's not being integrated in a purposeful way that is going to get kids to think critically, but also to apply their learning in relevant ways. Guess what? Don't use it. Mm -hmm. But we can learn a lot about our culture by having those critical conversations with our kids. At, at, absolutely. And gosh, I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so... I like that. <laughs> but, but just your question about like asking the kids, and it's a scary question sometimes. And like you said, I think oftentimes we don't ask the question because we're afraid of what they might say. I mean, like you say, when you go into schools and you say, it's like, they, they, you can tell they want to be honest, but they're afraid to be honest. Yeah, you know, and, and that's a thing too. I mean, hey, on social media, there's tons of conversations going on and people are interacting, collaborating, pushing thinking, and, that, and that's great. But what we see in these spaces, that's what has to happen in our classrooms, in our schools, in our districts. Yeah. You know, and, and hey, talk is cheap. You know, when we think about act, Actions change things. So as we think about what has to really happen is, you know, the, the, those conversations, if we're open to them, 
really are the most valuable feedback we get. But you know, we don't learn from the conversations. We learn from reflecting on the conversations and then changing our practice to improve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it all comes down to, you know, the conversations that we either are having or not having in this case. We weren't having those conversations. But once we started, social media became a big amplifier of the work. And we engaged more people in a conversation about, hey, here's a school that is blue collar, no money, very diverse. Um, Third of the students in the district classified special needs. Building built in 1928. Here's conversations mm. of not just you know what we're doing, how we did it, and the results that followed. So yeah. you know, again, I think the more that we communicate and are open to not just ideas, but open to implementing them and discussing the good and the bad. That's really at the heart of how we can really improve the experience for our kids. And understanding that there's going to be discomfort initially (laughs) because giving up that control, going back to what you said at the beginning, people are fearful of that. We fear change. It's not, what if it doesn't go well? I mean, I'm, as you were saying, it's not technology, but I'm thinking like at our school, I'm in elementary school and Pokemon cards kendamas, things like that. Kids wanted to bring those in like to play at recess. And some people were like, no, you can't, you can't do that. We do do that. <laughs> we have allowed Pokemon. Now we did have to kendamas. It was basically guys, until you give me a reason why you can't have these, if you start hitting kids with them, then obviously we're going to have to take them away. But Pokemon cards, for example, that takes about 30, 40 kids and completely engages them in something they are passionate about outside of school, why would I not give them that opportunity well, to, you, to you do something? Just, you just hit the nail on the head again. It falls into agency, and that is cultural agency. You know, kids should be able to choose how to spend their leisure time, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, makes us uncomfortable. They have Pokemon cards. I mean, come on, let's get off our high horse. You know, it also <laughs> makes me think of some things that we did. Uh, in our school to think about agency, giving up that control across the board. You know, one was the makerspace. Drove people crazy. And that was all about giving up control. Hey, come, come up with a problem, identify a problem, come up with a workable solution. You know, no alignment to curriculum, no grades. Uh, again, open-ended exploration, tinkering, inventing, awesome. You know, we put charging stations in all our common areas for our kids to use. We put uh, curings because they wanted coffee. We put them by the charging stations again to make it a more hospitable environment. Let's yeah. just say to make it more like a real one. Hey, if it's good enough for Google and it's good enough for Starbucks, it is sure good enough for our kids. Sure. You know, we put thinking games in our common areas. You know, uh, chess, checkers, Trivial Pursuit. You know, we even bought an Xbox. You know, we even created a nap room. We built a nap room for our kids. Because they saw it at Google in New York City, and they said, why can't we have this? Sure. The whole idea, turning learning experience. Okay, why can't you? Come up with an action plan, and let's pitch it to the superintendent. Let's put the onus again, ownership of their learning in and out of the classroom. And 
you do stuff like that, Keurigs, Napspace, Xboxes, Makerspace, games, you do that and going back to that, the quote that that student said to you at the beginning that kind of turned your world upside down, school stinks. Like, I, I, it feels like a jail, I think you said. It's like, they're not going to say that if your school is like Starbucks or yeah, like Google because we're prepared. And what's interesting is when you create the conditions that kids want to be a part of, all those fears that we had about discipline and off-task behavior subside. You know, mm -hmm. we found that our kids started policing themselves. They understood the privilege it was. They understood that for many, the school experience was different for them than it was for their peers at the other 65 high schools in our county. So when you start thinking like that, hey, does it work for all kids? No. Just like you can never make all the adults happy, you mm -hmm. can't make all the kids happy. But we can continue to strive to reflect on our practice Think about what we are. Think about what defines our success, our attributes. But more importantly, where do we want to be? And when you think about where do you want to be, it's a constant pursuit of improvement because there is no perfection in education. There's no perfect teacher, administrator, district, school. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. But when we constantly think about the opportunities, I look at it this way. You know, instead of focusing on the yeah buts, we got to focus on the what ifs. And that is a great example of a growth mindset. But you can't focus on the what ifs if you have a fixed mindset, you don't want to give up control, and you're focused on letting kids do school. Conformity, compliance, control, that creates the conditions where kids come and do school. Yeah. Uh, amen. Preach it, Eric. That's, gosh, thank you. This is. Fantastic. Hopefully anybody listening is, uh, has got as much out of this as I have because this is absolutely inspiring. I mean, I, the more we give up, it's give it up and it's, you're going to reap the benefits. And your school, I mean, for anyone who is not uh, familiar with your work, I mean, Eric, you've written some books and you're on Twitter. You're, I mean, you're huge on Twitter. You've written some books. Do me just this is your opportunity. <laughs> plug, some, plug some of the stuff. If somebody wants to, I mean, your digital leadership, your uncommon learning, uh, how can they get in touch with you or, or read more that you've written? Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to learn more about me, going to my website, ericsheninger.com is the best. But, you know, when I think about success, I think about the books, you know, all of that is not because of one person. You know, uh, leadership isn't about power, position, or title. Leadership is about action. And when I think about the books, for example, if it wasn't for the collective belief of my teachers yeah. and the fact that they changed their practice and my students that were willing to be open-minded to help guide us through leading the change for them, you know, so whether it be digital leadership, uh, uncommon learning, brand ed, or my latest book, Learning Transformed. You know, it was the motivation from all those experiences that I had in my life as an administrator that pushed me to be better. And, and I think the one thing that really separated the war, our work was we didn't just talk about what uh, we should be doing or telling people what we were doing. We showed how teaching, learning, and leadership were actually changing. We showed examples of the, of rigorous digital performance tasks that we engage our students in. You know, we showed how we improved achievement. Um, we aligned everything to research 
and we were driven by evidence. So when, when I think about the success, you know, I, I try to stop everyone and say, hey, you know, I'm only successful because of the people around me. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed to be a principal at a school where collectively we, we had our aha moment and we decided to, you know, go down, stealing from Emerson, go down the road less traveled yeah. and roll the dice and see what happened. Yeah. And ultimately, when you frame every decision around what's best for kids, you can't lose. Amen. One of our assistant superintendents wrote, said something a couple of years ago. I wrote it down and it is on the wall in my office. It says, if we're doing what's best for kids, no one can question our decision making. Correct. And it, that's it. So, wow, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time. I uh, Again, for anyone listening, this is... This is how we get better. That's why I'm doing this podcast, to talk to amazing educators like you, sharing your stories, uh, inspires me to get better. Hopefully people listening uh, will be inspired to check out your work and improve their practice as well. And for anyone listening, thank you again. Appreciate it. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe in iTunes or Google Play, or you can uh, check the podcast out on my website at brentcoley.com. Once again, thanks for listening. And until next time, have a good one. Okay, thank you.